0: Because he had a bubble of Pandora right. and Iggy and, oh God, Iggy into Kairos. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, just, just a. He, he had a bubble of like five people, and I committed Elshai straight into that. And instead of killing him, he chose to disengage both Pandora and Candy and throw them at Kairos, which just left Borgman with like Iggy and Baby Kate. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take those odds. Thank you. Yeah. Because I was fully expecting to lose Borgman. But instead, Kairos held up five models for like three turns. Amazing.
1: We've got ourselves another path to podium. This is for an event uh, back in July of last summer in Western Australia. Uh, We've got three players that um, made some very interesting choices in the crews they took and uh, the plays that they made that allow them to finish uh, at the top of the heap. Uh, If you play Karis, Seamus, Reva, or Colette, you're going to find a lot of interesting ideas shared. All three of these players have uh, a very interesting approach that's really a testament to learning one crew and mastering it before you move on to other keywords. There's an account of a great matchup between Karis and Raspi. It's very interesting to hear how one of the players countered Yan Lo with Colette. You'll be shocked to find out the top table final round was Dreamer versus Reva and Reva won. Be sure to stick around to the end uh, to learn what uh, Western Australia thinks about the game. So when they listen to podcasts and watch battle reports, they, uh, you know, obviously are on a weird place and they're finding that there's a difference between uh, evaluations of different keywords and models. There are certain models that they think are really good that everybody else in the world appears to think is garbage and vice versa. Uh, So don't miss the last segment. Sit back and learn about how these three players made the right decisions pre game, during the game, and uh, that allowed them to finish at the top. Enjoy! Playing a
2: tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play, or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor
1: and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today, we're talking to the podium for a recent in-person event in Australia. They had enough players that felt comfortable with the safety protocols in place to do what many of us miss terribly, and that's actually play a tournament in person. My guests are the three podium finishers. We've got Ewan bailey teely James Bryant, and Rebecca Lay. So Ewan, welcome to the third floor. Thank you for having me. So, uh, first time on the show, and I always like to get an idea from my, uh, first, uh, my guest's first appearance, kind of how you got into this crazy hobby. So, at one point in time, Ewan, you had no idea what tabletop gaming was, what miniature gaming is. Uh, what happened? How did you get introduced to it? I, I got in quite young. I started when I was about
2: seven or eight, probably. Wow. Um, my uh, father has always been a huge nerd. Um, especially fantasy. Uh, he got me reading Lord of the Rings as a child. And we he went out and he bought the Two Towers and the Return of the King starter boxes for the Lord of the Rings. Nice. Hobby. We then split them, myself, my dad, and my older sister. And we played that hobby as a family
1: for many, many years. Um, the two of them slowly drifted out, but I kept going. Very cool. I got to say, and of, of all of the games that GW put out, I still will argue that Lord of the Rings slash The Hobbit is the best they've done.
2: Oh, absolutely. I love
1: that. It. Yeah, it's, it, it's a good system. The models are gorgeous, especially if you love, you know, the source material. Um, I think the only thing that that game has ever missed is some more interesting scenarios um, for match play. Uh, but their narrative scenarios that recreate scenes from the books and movies are fantastic.
2: Yes, we. one of my favorite memories is we played through uh, all of them in a row. We did the entire Lord of the Rings story and matched it as best we could. Um, But as I got older, I wanted more people to play with, and that transitioned into 40K and Fantasy, which were a lot more popular at the time. Uh, And then from there, it was uh, War Machine and Warmer Hordes, after I got a bit tired of them. And then uh, X-Wing, then Malifaux, and most recently also
1: uh, Crisis Protocol. Oh, I'm a I'm a huge MCP fan. That's great. I'm oh, loving it at the moment. I play it with my partner. Yeah, it's a, it's a good game. It's a good game. It's not as it's not as deep and as heavy as Malifaux, but that's a good thing, not a bad thing, right? It gives you a chance to play something a little bit lighter. Yeah, a little little easier on the brain. Yeah, exactly. You don't feel just exhausted after playing it for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, James, welcome to the third floor. Thanks for having me. So James, same question. How did you end up getting into this crazy hobby?
3: Uh, I've, I've mentioned it before because I've, I've been on this on here before. Um, Malafa was my first game. I'd never played any tabletop game before this one. I started in second ed, probably played it for I think about three years, and then went into third ed. But I, I've, 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 I tried War Machine for a little bit. I just, it just wasn't for me. I'm not a big fan yeah. of the guys. So it didn't work for me. Malifaux has been the only one I've played and it's pretty much the only one I've really liked.
1: So, James, I'm trying to remember from our previous conversation, uh, how, how long did you play Second Ed? I think it was about three years. Okay. Okay. I, I, I couldn't remember if you were relatively new to Second Ed, but you, you went through the whole cycle of Second Edition.
3: Yeah, I've been, been in it for quite a, quite, quite a
1: while. <laughs> Good. And what is your uh, kind of your hot takes on Third
3: Edition? Are you, are you happy with what they've done? Oh, yeah, I'm enjoying it way more. I really enjoyed the key- keyword system. That, I think that's probably my favorite change. Yeah, I agree. Completely agree.
1: So our third guest is Rebecca. Rebecca, welcome to the third floor.
0: Hi. Thanks for having me.
1: And my pleasure. So Rebecca, how did you end up uh, finding Malifaux or tabletop gaming in general?
0: Uh, uh, Malifaux is actually also my first one. I found it through Ewan, who uh, we've been friends for many, many years before that. And I think he was just getting into Malifaux when he told me about it and it's similarly interesting and then um yeah and then he showed me a picture of chaos and i was sold instantly
1: (laughs) (laughs) had you so malifo is your first mini game
0: yeah it's um i've only played one game of another type of mini game too so yeah Mm.
1: gotcha so, in your mind, having never played mini games before, I mean, Malifaux is a, a pretty hardcore first one to pick up. What was the hardest thing to kind of get your mind around as you started playing for the first time?
0: Uh, I started so long ago; I don't really remember. I'll be honest. I started. <laughs> <laughs> I started way back in um, M2E in the first edition of M2E. I think it was. So, gotcha. uh, I think. Yeah, I have no idea. It's, it's been a while.
1: You're a veteran now, <laughs> yeah, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, how about your take on third edition?
0: Um, I'm loving it. I pretty much honestly only play one master. So I'm one of those uh, rare people who don't have tons and tons of crews. I just pretty much go to carries player. Um, And I really love it. I honestly can say I probably would have stopped playing Malifaux. Her crew didn't like, like, like hadn't worked for me, but I love it. I think it's great. I think it's a lot, not necessarily simpler, but it's a lot easier to kind of like get into and sort of focus on what you're doing rather than like the 10 billion conditions that m 2 e had
1: yeah i think that the um i don't think they simplified it they definitely streamlined it um and yeah it, what is cool about it is in some ways i think it made the game deeper which is uh which is no small feat uh to pull off um and as far as you soloing a master first of all must have been nice playing karis in third edition versus second edition she's a lot better I, in, third. Loved
0: her in- I loved her in second edition.
1: But she, yeah, I, I, I feel um, like her power level went way up in third.
0: I, I mean, I agree. She's definitely stronger now, but I played her for pretty much three years only. So I could definitely make her work in second ed.
1: Yeah. You can attest to it. I'm having flashbacks <laughs> right now. That's really funny. Um, I think probably the best thing about people that focus on one or two masters is that uh, you start actually very quickly playing Malifaux as opposed to just playing the crew. Because at this point, you probably know all the cards, you know, all the triggers. Um, I would imagine your activation order has become secondhand.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I pretty much. And I think that really is helpful for me because I tend to struggle when there's a lot going on because i can be a little scatterbrained so for me as long as i know what my crew is and what i'm doing with them i know i'm okay because i can sort of figure out what's going on
1: yeah whenever i get uh, sometimes i'll get private messages and stuff of people that are uh struggling like i struggle i suck at the game um and <laughs> uh that's the first thing i tell them as i say put all those models away and, and not only just mm. pick a single master but pick a set crew just pick seven models. Yeah. And just yeah. keep playing it over and over and over again to the point where you get to where you are, Rebecca, where you can really concentrate on points and you can concentrate on tactics and things like that. So I think that's smart. So, guys, one of the things that I wanted to talk about right out of the gate is because and the reason I want to talk about this is because the vast majority of the listeners right now are really envious of you um because most of us have not played a game in person let alone a multi-person event um and it seems like a decade now and it hasn't been quite that long but um, (laughs) so i'd be curious to know um well first off uh was it what was the discussion out of the gate was there a hey a message that went out locally that said we're thinking of doing a an event and what do people think about it like how was the subject first broached
0: Um. I think in WA, uh, Western Australia, sorry, it's quite different because we haven't had any community transition for like 90 days and everyone who has COVID are in um, quarantine. Yeah. And also our state has a hard border lock, so nobody can come in and out unless they're previously approved of. So it's sort of like there's no community transition. Restrictions are pretty much relaxed entirely. Wow. You know, we don't have to wear masks everywhere and it it's it, so it's I feel like it's a very different situation than what's going on in the States. What's well, the cost
1: okay. of living there, just out of curiosity? <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty great.
1: Yeah. No, of course I'm in i I'm in America, so there's no way you I can't even leave my country right oh. now, let alone come to Europe. Your... <laughs> WA so, is isolated even by
2: Australian standards, so we're doing yeah. very strongly right now.
1: Yeah. And and I think I remember uh, that in the discussion when I uh, had some of you guys on before. Um, All right. So obviously that was a non-issue then, right? It was just kind of like, look, uh, life is relatively back to normal. Um, We don't have to necessarily have the safety protocols in place for the event itself because it's been – uh, sounds like taken care of at a much larger scale. Um, was there any adjustments made, um, Ewan, in the actual game itself? So uh, was there any distancing or it sounds not sound like masks or even uh, a thing? Uh, no masks at all. We did have, uh, there are some restrictions in our gaming venue
2: as to how many people you're allowed to have in an enclosed space. So we had to, uh henchman did some work coordinating with the, venue itself beforehand to ensure that we didn't have too many people and as it's a store to also leave enough room to allow them to continue their normal day-to-day operations as well.
3: We had a, a cap of 14 people. So even though we did have more interest for gotcha. more people playing, the cap was 14 just to keep it safe. That's cool. That's cool. So, that, so the event ended up being 14. Yep.
0: Yeah. Down from 16.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, now was this the first event you guys have had since all of this has happened? yes yes yeah got it well very cool guys we're gonna take a quick break when i get back from this break we're gonna take a look at round one and how each of our competitors did we'll be right back Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use Mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats. Save yourself some money and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So let's talk about the first round and you and we'll start with you, but before we do that, let me give you guys kind of a breakdown. So it was a standard deployment. The strategy was recover evidence. The strategies uh the schemes were let them bleed research mission, spread them out, catch and release and hidden martyrs. So you and uh, who did you pl- match up against? Uh, I funny story on that. Actually
2: uh, in the original matchup, I was, I was meant to play James. Um, however, Rebecca and James were late to the event, so <laughs> I got rematched with James's opponent and the, uh, with Rebecca's opponent, and then they got matched with each other. So things could have played out very differently if that had changed. Uh, that's funny. So I matched against uh, a Hoffman player who's a, a good friend of mine. Um, so I would played each other a couple of times before, so we were familiar with each other's uh, tactics. And I chose to play uh, Rava because uh, I love to alternate sculpt. So I had just started playing her purely for the purpose of using that model.
1: So I, I assume we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this, Ewan, but uh so you're one of those people that can actually win with Reva. Uh, well, yes, evidently. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm still in the camp where I just i can't make her work. So, uh, not have, her- I've gotten some work done with her. That's good. That's good. Well, let's start off with then um, your scheme choices. What, so, what two schemes did you pick? Uh,
2: so, I picked uh, Let Them Bleed and Research Mission. And why those? Uh, research Mission is trivial for Raver to achieve. Uh, you almost always take the Carrion Emissary in her list for the turn activation one. A Carrion Emissary can put. A a mindless zombie, I believe it's 19 inches effective out from where it started. And that aggressive corpse placement is so strong for Raver. Um, And in addition to that, a pyre marker, a corpse marker, and a coffin marker, you have scored research mission without any other work. And you can do that immediately. It's it's significantly easy. It's essentially an auto-pick for a Raver if it's
1: in the pool. It's just two points off the bat. And with that flexibility, I'm, I would imagine you, and it, it's it's really hard for someone to even counter, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And like I in this in this
2: particular one, I took a graveyard spirit, which can put down corpse markers. Yep. And so it was able to, ju- it just walked up the side of the board. I put a coffin over there, turn two, I think. I dropped a coffin, and then it was done. It just walked up there. Uh, corpse marker with a bonus, scheme marker with an action. The coffin with a bonus from the emissary, and I've scored it already. And
1: then the coffin stays there too. Can you give us an idea what the rest of the crew looks like?
2: Uh, so my crew... So the first thing is, it was a 42-stone event, not a 50 Oh, stone
1: that's event. right. That's right. I forgot um, to mention that.
2: It made it, it made it very interesting to list build because it really forced me to prioritize a lot more than I normally do. So I ran Reva with the Whisper, which is a very powerful upgrade for her. She's such a strong, offensive piece that knowing what you've got coming is, I think, really important. Um, I lost often actually attempt and deliberately fail her bonus action just to cycle a bad card off the top of the deck. Um, and then I ran the two candles, two
1: Draugr, the Carrion Emissary, a Graveyard Spirit, and a Gravedigger with six dents. Very nice. Very, very nice. So uh, now your opponent was playing Hoffman. Was that Arcanist Hoffman or a Guild? Guild Hoffman. Gotcha. So uh, looking back on you and what do you think was uh, kind of the, the main decision points at what point, um, if you look back on it now, did did you secure the win?
2: Uh, Early, early on, actually. So my opponent had both the Peacekeeper and Joss on the team, uh, knowing that I'd have to get rid of two such offensive pieces, especially with offensive pieces with strong threat ranges. Um, I'd have to get rid of them quickly. So let them bleed with my other easy pick. Um, Joss extended himself very early and uh, I, I baited him with a mindless zombie that came out of the coffin marker and then he killed it but it turned into a corpse regardless so they right. it, my opponent had no way to remove my corpses once I had them out on the field Um, and that happened before Ravers activation so round one uh, Joss was on not looking good remotely he was low low health as Ravers obviously got the ability to charge but then attack eight inches out from that charge location plus a two inch range beyond that so um joss died activation one turn two um and then i actually ended up scoring let them bleed on a different model just because i figured i might as well get rid of him before he has the chance to heal or do damage um and there was a uh, forest that was long ways down the board with the peacekeeper deployed on one side of it and i moved my whole crew to the other Nice. So by using the dense to rate, I denied the Peacekeeper any offensive power until early turn three when it was easy enough for me to deal with.
1: Well, and I would imagine you then uh, really wasted some uh, Peacekeeper, had to waste some AP to become relevant again, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that was the goal because I, I have been on the receiving end of an angry Peacekeeper. And never <laughs> again. <laughs> so what did the final score end up being? Uh, eight to one. Wow. Wow. Okay. Great. So that's a nice first win. So uh, Rebecca and James, they just lollygag in, taking their time, getting to the event. They finally <laughs> arrive. Uh, and you guys are end up matched against each other. So, Rebecca, I know you took Karis, but James, what did you bring? So I played uh, Colette for all three rounds. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, that's an interesting matchup. Um, now, uh, I would imagine the two of you have had this matchup a million times um, between the two of you. <laughs> no oh really we haven't
0: played yeah we haven't played too much of gg1 this was actually only my second game of gg1 so wow. it was
3: learning curve <laughs> i bet i bet so uh well first of all so who won uh, i won mm. it was james so I wish, <laughs> I wish i could tell you this amazing story about how awesome this game was but as we said we were late we had like less than an hour and a half to get this game done and it was a uh, bit of a mess so the game was three to one i believe um how many turns yeah. did you guys end up getting in
0: uh, two and a half. Yeah, if that. Yeah, we had to really rush the third turn just to sort. Of, so we kind of skipped activations. It didn't matter. So we just sort of, yeah, yeah it, the last turn was a mess. So,
1: so do you think um, either of you, do you think it would have played out different if you'd had a full uh, full five turns and all the time to play?
0: <sighs> yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah. Do you think it would have been closer, Rebecca? Or do you think you would have taken it?
0: I don't think I would have taken it. James is very good, and um, Colette is a very difficult opponent. Yeah. Uh, she Great crew. But um, I like the Kairos matchup into Colette because Love, Super Glory, Circumvents, Distracted, and that's her main stick. So I like the matchup, and it would have just had to be dealing with the duet, would have been right. my plus challenge, that, which I don't think I could have done.
3: Plus, Kairos' ability to attack size does help take out Colette because she doesn't get her defensive <laughs> trigger. Oh, that's a good
1: point. That, that, that means that you had to be much cagier with her than normal, huh? Oh, yeah. Usually I just
3: throw collect to the problem like, yep, yeah, she's going to be fine. <laughs>
1: yeah, oh, I bet. I bet. So out of curiosity, so both of you guys soloed Masters for all three rounds. I'd be curious to know, um, start with you, Rebecca. How do you feel Karis does in Recover Evidence? Um, is that a strong one for her or is it a struggle?
0: I've only played two games of Recover Evidence, so I'm going to take this with a grain of salt, but I'm not sure about it. I mean, I think Karis is probably one of the most adaptable and flexible masters in Arcanist, let alone probably the whole game, but um, I played two of Recover, and I don't think she kind of gets killy enough early. She's really good killing late, but I rarely kill models turn two unless I have Borgman up the front doing something, so... And then obviously the scheme marker drops, but by then, sorry, the strat marker, but by then I've got anyone that can interact with it off doing other things. So I right. don't know. Maybe it's just my play style, but also I think she's got strongest, stronger strategies than that.
1: Yeah. And how about
3: Colette? Do you think Colette's strong James into the strat? I love her in Recover Evidence. Uh, Colette's crew doesn't yeah. have tons and tons of damage, but she does have really good damaging models with the Corophy Duet. Um, and I also hired the Effigy with the Grow Upgrade. And, you know, he's pretty punchy. Um, oh. So, like, the crew can get damage. as Well, it's not its focus. It can get good damage. So I find that I just need to pick targets one at a time to get the strategy markers. But once they're down, I've got Don't Mind Me. I've got ways to, like, just teleport my models and my opponent's models. I find it very, very easy to pick them up once they're down.
1: Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine that's the case. All right, so we've got James and Ewan with a win, and Rebecca, you got a loss. But I have a feeling we got some wins in your future. So let's take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about round two. It's a wedge deployment. Symbols of authority. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3 x 3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com. That's with one M. Or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the Third Floor sent you. If you use the promo code Friend, all one word, T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R-F-R-I-E-N-D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and play mats. All right. So round two, we've got um, Rebecca. I want to start with you because you're coming into it with a loss. So it's actually absolutely critical for you to make podium. You need to win your next two games. I mentioned uh, before the break, it's a wedge symbols of authority round. The schemes were breakthrough, assassinate, hidden martyrs, leave your mark and sabotage. Um, So for Karis, Rebecca, what did you think were your two strategies? What'd you pick?
0: I picked Breakthrough pretty much instantly. I think it's one of Karius's strongest strategies. And I also picked Leave Your Mark.
1: And oh, I did nice. that
0: because um, unfortunately, the player I was playing against is a little bit of a newer player and he didn't have the Ice Golem. And I looked at his list and I was like, absolutely no one here is going to contest Borkman and holding the center of the board. So I'm going to I'm gonna do Leave Your Mark. Otherwise, God. I probably would have gone Sabotage.
1: Right. So uh, it was Arcanist on Arcanist, it sounds like.
0: Yes, it was. And also, unfortunately for him, Raspy is the one other master that I sort of do play. So I was very familiar with what his crew can do.
1: And, and having knowledge of, I mean, you don't have to, I mean, the fact that you play Raspy helps considerably, but even just having a general knowledge of the other opponent can be a huge advantage. Um, it's oh, one of the yeah. reasons... one of the reasons I encourage people to listen to deep dives, even if it's not your master, um, because you can at least walk away from it, having a general understanding uh, of how the mechanics of it work. Um, So uh, same type of idea, Rebecca, when you look back on that, um, when do you think was the turning point? When did you think that uh, a win was in your future?
0: Uh, Probably, again, pretty early because he really aggressively deployed two December Acolytes and he really aggressively deployed them. So I had Kairos kill one. I left it on one health, but it had burning. So I was just like, you're fine. Um, and then I had Carlos kill the other one. And then by the start of turn two, I put um, Borgman uh, into the center of the board to kind of bait in either Snowstorm or Blessed because I knew Blessed would be a problem. Yep. He committed Borgman. I won initiative and I he killed Blessed in one go. So I was like, this is it. You know, I... I- I've killed three of his models. Yeah. So this is downhill from here for him.
1: And take, taking out those acolytes is huge because one, it obviously hurts the scheming ability. Um, if he, uh, if your opponent had any plans of doing that um, plus those acolytes are, are, are a damage threat too. Um, oh yeah.
0: Yeah. So no, as soon as he put them there, I was say, like, I would really like to kill them.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep. And you know, and again, this is not, not to be a broken record, but uh, having, Meta knowledge about Raspy allows you to be much smarter in picking your targets, right? Your target priority is, yeah. is easy because you know what you like to keep alive, which means that's what you want to kill on the other side. So yeah. that makes and, sense. Um,
0: it was also very much. I do know the December Crew's weaknesses. I think yeah. they have really huge weaknesses and carries crew is a quick one, which is one of their biggest. So I was just like, I'm going to run them around the map and she's not going to be able to keep up.
1: I think Raspi um, is a, has a strong keyword. I think that, um, yeah. in the right hands, raspy, um, especially, especially in the right pool, uh, raspy can be just oppressive, but I also consider her a high skill cap master. Um, if yeah, you she, are she's very difficult, she's very difficult. And, and, and I, I, she has a bit of a reputation of being a quote unquote weak master, but I think that that's just a situation where people haven't put in the reps, um, because I've seen raspy in the right hands and it, really sucks it's really not fun to play against
0: yeah no like if you can get your first turn focus shoot off and apply slow into a bubble that's that changes the whole game from turn I com- one
1: completely agree so james let's talk about your round uh we know you brought colette who did you play against
3: i uh, versus yanlo uh which version 10 or uh rezzer uh I honestly, don't remember, but he didn't take any upgrades or out of keyword models, so it doesn't oh, matter. didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, who, who was the player, James? Uh, Ben. Uh, oh, brother okay. Ben. Okay, yeah.
1: Ben's brother. So, gotcha. So, well, first of all, uh, I assume you won. Yes, I did. I the, the total score was eight to four, my favor. Wow, another nice margin. So, um first of all, of the of the schemes, which ones did you pick, and
3: why? Uh, okay, so I took. um Leave your mark and breakthrough. So I love, I love breakthrough and just model our schemes that favor my amazing movement with Colette. She's got a lot of movement tricks, a lot of, you can't yeah. pin her down. You've got models that don't mind me. The ability to presto change her models away and just nimble on the core is always amazing. And the core was a big thing for scoring my breakthrough because I just, once I got her in the backboard with the ability to dance apart and just go two different separate ways, you've always got a model in the enemy's deployment zone and you can get your schemes down so easily.
1: Um, so yeah breakthrough end the the Corfi are the Corfi are so strong um as scheme runners because they're such a threat um it's so often when you have an aggressive scheme runner that's going into the into your backfield it's not that big of a deal because you just wipe them off the board um if i see a Corfi coming into my backfield i've got some big decisions to make because the Corfi is like you know i could scheme or i could just kill all of your crew whichever you'd prefer
3: yeah both work for me even even if you're just not not looking at the duet just the single Corfi, it's a defense six stat six attack two, four, five damage, yeah. like it's, it's going to do work with nimble. So it gets them with a free charge yeah. to attacks. You don't want to go near it.
1: <laughs> it's a very, very flexible. Um, uh, Cause you, you obviously know when you need them combined and they're valuable when they're not combined, which I think is good. Um, so looking back on it, uh, James, what do you think was probably one of the key moments where you, when you realized that you were probably going to win this match?
3: Uh, so one of my favorite things to do was symbols of authority. Now, I'm an Arknas player, so I'm going to hire a silent one. That's just crazy not to. Um, so I love their ability to like just wedge a symbol into a corner and then just drop. So first turn, ice pillar, ice pillar, and just block in those symbols so people can't get into them without putting in a bit of extra work. I know I'm an awful person. <laughs> Um, but some big
1: (laughs) which you guys for listeners James can see my webcam as we're discussing and he just (laughs) sees the
3: Arcanist hate on my face go ahead
1: James
3: (laughs) Um, another big big change a bigger point was uh, early turn two so turn one I had to do up in his appointment like staring down Yanlo and Chiaki I just went straight for Chiaki she was my first kill like beginning of turn two Chiaki dead big change um, and then the rest of that, I just basically ignored Yan Lo. <laughs> I just kind of took care of his models. Um, I was He was very aggressive with an Ashigaru, which was his hidden martyr. And I just gave him that point. <laughs> um, yep. But I found that I kind of I, I stayed away from his, uh, his, his arm with the armor. It was a really slow beater. And I found that my mobility and a couple of cheeky ice pillars, I could just stay away from him and just. You can chase me if you want, but you're not going to succeed. Um, <laughs> a very. Very big thing was, I killed Chiaki, danced apart my Korofi. He did get his, uh, I just said his name, um, Izamu. He just got Izamu into Isami. a Korofi and he cheated a Red Joker to hit, obviously with the armor-piercing trigger, which is like Korofi's main defensive tech, and then Black Joker to damage. Yep. <laughs> so I was ready to lose this Korofi. I'm like, I'm just going to lose this Korofi and then use the other Korofi to scheme. I didn't need to do that. I just got to keep my Karofi to it. <laughs> so that was a big change
1: for me. That's nice. And I, I got to tell you, James, your approach to how to handle Yan Lo, I think, is a strong approach, which is, uh, one, there's a lot of key decision points. One is whether you're going to deal with Yan Lo or, or not deal with him. And I think, I think both are valid depending on what crew you're bringing. But with a collect crew, I like your decision of saying, look, I'm just going to, I'm going to ignore them and just deal with the fact that, you know, by turn four, Yan Lo is going to be an insane God and I need to, you know, take care of as much things early. I also like your target priority. Taking out
3: Chiaki early is a very strong move. Uh, so well done, man. Yeah. I've versed ben, Ben's Yan Lo twice and every single time I've just shot, taken Chiaki out straight
1: away. <laughs> yeah that, that's that she is in my opinion she's one of the top target priorities uh when you go up against Jan Lowe. so uh nice victory man so now let's talk to you and you and uh did you first of all did you win your match uh i did yes nice. uh five to three five to three nice win so uh what uh schemes did you take uh i ended up taking uh Fafinate and hidden martyrs so, and you was you're,
2: running go ahead I was running uh, Seamus this round, which I'm now a little sad of, because originally I went into this event intending to free round Raver as a sort of a a joke challenge that I'd been assigned by our meta. Um, But I had done a fully converted Red Chapel crew just that week. Nice. And so I wanted to play them. So it was my second actual game with Seamus ever was round two of this event. So um, I think I was feeling a little confident after the 8-1. I was prepared to take some risks yeah and so i ran him into euripides oh wow uh so seamus is obviously insanely good at symbols of authority the mobility that he has his crew making each other more mobile it's just seamus and the uh his totem alone the copycat killer can easily threaten three to four symbols turn two if they want to um that being said i only scored one point off the strategy the whole game wow um my opponent was in was within six inches of my deployment zone on the first turn, thanks to wedge and uh, Garians throwing people through ice pillars. I had a lot of stuff to deal with quite quickly. <laughs>
1: So I'd be curious, you because that's that's, uh, uh, um, you know, I, when you said Euripides and I looked at the pool, I'm like, ooh, that's a good choice um, and tough and tough for you. What crew? So let's talk about the crew that you brought with Seamus, because with Seamus, you have a lot of options because um, Seamus can be very good out of keyword with just out of keyword and versatile models. Did you stay in keyword? Uh, almost entirely. I wow. ran uh, two dead doxies, a single Watson bell
2: who died very early on, didn't help me very much. Uh, Betty Noir and the
1: Carrion Emetho. Oh, you brought that. Very nice. Um, And you said the Carrion. Okay, that's good. So in your mind, what was, well, first of all, how did you deal with that aggressive um, move by the Euripides player? So uh, early on, he obviously uh, moved
2: Euripides up board and started showering me on ice pillars. Uh, I was able to pass a few of those jewels quite luckily, but I did lose my totem early on, which is part of why I suffered on symbols, because I no longer had that free activation to walk into the backfield and score later. I, I lost that ability to get Sheamus both in the fight and scoring, which I love about uh the the Red Chapel playstyle. Yep. Um so once those pillars were up, he was able to teleport one of his Garyans in. Uh but Sheamus hadn't activated. And the pillars, while obviously blocking up my crew, free up an incredible number of targets for Seamus to move to. They're all Correct. blocking impassable, so I had I, I was spoiled for choice on Secret Passage. Um, I did make a small kerfuffle and a learning point on Seamus here, uh, where I failed to kill the Garion with Sheamus because I didn't think about... I had the opportunity to cheat for a trigger. And I chose not to, which left the Garion on uh, one health because of it's hard to kill, because I was out of action. If I had cheated for the trigger, I would have been able to push the Garian into Seamus' engagement and make the free attack, which... That's the, kill I would, that's the point I would have needed because I couldn't, I had the one action left, so I would have gotten two attacks to kill the Garion, Um, but I could not simply charge the Garian thanks to its extended reach. So that's a learning point.
1: Yeah. And that's, and and you, and that's not uncommon. Um, I'll tell you, I did not unlock Seamus and make Seamus effective for me until I learned how to take advantage of him, uh, in close combat. Um, I mean, it's easy and obvious to see what a, what a range threat he is, but when you learn to leverage him, uh, with melee attacks and taking advantage of his, um, Uh, ability to get a free attack when things are pushed into him not only with his ability to do it but with a doxies and stuff like that i think that's when you truly unlock sheamus he's such an offensive threat especially with injured it's one of the strongest conditions in the game in my opinion couldn't agree more couldn't agree more all right guys well that gives us an idea of how uh, round two went we're going to take a quick break let's go into round three we'll be right back
3: Hi, I'm Alexander Zdančuks from Riga, Latvia, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. Those guys open the beauty of Malifaux 3rd edition to me and continue to provide tons of great content. You can support them too. Follow the links in the show notes below or search for Third Floor Wars at patron.com.
1: What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? Five dollars a month? Twenty dollars a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. I need to give a special shout out to some of our newest patrons. A big thanks goes out to Bob Fletcher, Old Doc Fulton, Joseph Pye, Loke Walmo, Nicholas Prinzing, Darth 8952 Sven Hoffman, Mike Schmidt, and Peter Diarmus. The only reason we're able to put out content on a regular basis is because of you guys and gals. Thanks a ton. So round three, we've got uh, both James and Ewan uh two um, and O uh, and you guys didn't end up facing each other, which uh, helps the chances of both of you making podium, of course. Um, and, but Rebecca, you're back in again to another key matchup. That's the, when you're playing in a three-rounder, uh, especially with as many as 14 players, losing the first game of all the games is the one to lose, right? If you're going to go two yeah, and um, one, you yeah. want to learn lose that first game, get hopefully a more favorable matchup round two, but then you're right back into the mix in round three and have to win that. Um, so let's start, first of all, with the pool. It's flank public enemies. Oh, Karis is so good in public enemies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> flank public enemies. The pool is vendetta. Spread them out. Sabotage, take prisoner, and claim jump. So, uh, Rebecca, first off, uh, what's the, what was the score?
0: Uh, it ended up being six five to me. It was oh, wow. it was very close. very close. Um, and the only reason I was on third table and that was because I did so well the previous round, which was good. But um, yeah, no, it was six five. But unfortunately, it was into Pandora, which is a it, it's not a victory. <laughs> Um yeah, I when he announced Pandora, I was like, okay. Because I personally consider Pandora's possibly uh Chaos's worst matchup. It's a terrible matchup. Because it's it's as soon as he announced it, I was like, Oh, this is gonna be like something. This is gonna be very fun for me. Yeah. And except it's not going to be. But um, yeah, so as soon as he did that, I knew I couldn't play chaos conventionally because if I had played like I normally do, you know, like setting up the pyres, standing in the pyres, using blaze, I would be instantly killed, pretty much, um, or yo-yoed around the board. So, yep. yeah, I ended up taking a sabotage and a claim jump with the fire starter.
1: And did you bring the fire golem?
0: No, I pretty yeah. much never play the fire golem because, oh, really? yeah, I look. I mean, it's a great model. But also, I just rate Borgman so much higher. Um, And honestly, as soon as I put the Golem on the board, the my opponents look at the model and say, "We must kill that." Whereas Borgman's (laughs) like, "It's just a dude with a sword, right? He'll be fine."
1: (laughs) That's funny.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's like, um, the Golem is great, but I also find its armor is too conditional, almost. I'd rather Borgman's guaranteed minus one damage every time, rather than the Golems, like you have to like with like, um, the golem had nine burning in a game I played against uh Ewan's Rever, the golem died turn two. With nine burning, he just, just went straight through it. So Yeah. So. yeah.
1: That, that that makes some sense. So let's talk about key moments. Where do you think uh you eked out that win?
0: Mm, um <laughs> I I didn't really know up until it was very, very, very close. It kind of came down to the wire, really. Um oh sorry, it was six four, I think but um yeah because I was I was able to sneak El past into because he had a bubble of Pandora right. and Iggy and oh God Iggy into chaoss <laughs> um <laughs> uh, j- just a he had a bubble of like five people and I committed Elsha straight into that And instead of killing him, he chose to disengage both Pandora and Candy and throw them at Kairos, which just left Borgman with, like, Iggy and baby Kate. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take those odds. Thank you. Yeah. Because I was fully expecting to lose Borgman. But instead, Kairos held up five models for, like, three turns. Amazing. So... Yeah, it's it's actually why I always put magical training on her because if she doesn't take any damage, the shield circumvents the burning at end of turn, and counter spell is just that nice little extra. Yes, you you have to discard this card so that you can like screw me over. Yep, you, you're gonna do it, but like you still have to pay that resource for it. So yeah, I, I mean, I had I had a silent one backing her up, but I don't tend to pull very good heals, so mm. <laughs> it's pretty much all Kaira is holding up
1: yeah having shutting that that ability to force your opponent to either not go for the trigger or to have the uh their resource pressure of their control hand is powerful i think it's an underestimated um um counter spell. i think is an underestimated ability in the game um because it's it, it does what i love to do which is make force my opponent to make two one of two bad decisions and both of them suck so that's great
0: yeah I mean, unless you got like a one in your hand, you know, like, yeah, it's a one.
1: Well, yeah, but- and, people, and, and and this is where I always talk about people like y- you read that and in your head. They're like, oh, they're just going to discard low cards. Um, and that's where theory foe fails you, because in reality, depending on when it comes into action, they may have long gotten rid of those low cards Um, and yeah. you you put them again in a position. And also, it's a good counterpick to a lot of uh, crews that depend on their triggers. Um, yeah, it uh, is.
0: It's, it's very good.
1: Yeah, very good.
0: But yeah, I, I feel like the game probably swung when I managed to kill Candy because before that she yeah. I had to discard like he just kept not activating her and I had to discard like four cards out of my like six card hand to just activate my models, but um it was actually it may cuz I was able to up we go with Kyrus through stun slow and some other condition that was probably terrible. So she had two AP and I was just, I'm just going to focus it up we go. Yeah. And so I managed to get her out of engagement, which meant the fire starter reckless over a building and took two shots and killed her. Nice. Um. So, yeah, it, it, it made us laugh. Cause everyone was like, Oh, the worst henchman killing the best. And I'm like, yeah. But I love
1: candy, them. <laughs> candy's, candy's good. Candy's good, and a good, to- uh, good target priority. Yeah, good target yeah, priority. I, I knew
0: I needed to kill her. Well, my my first target was actually uh the totem because it can remove markers. Yep. And then it was Iggy because Iggy. Yeah. And then it was Candy because Candy.
1: The more you're talking, Rebecca, the more I realize what a terrible matchup that is for you. So uh well, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Well, well done. Thank so you. nice win secures you third place which is awesome let's talk about
3: our second place finisher so james what was your matchup so i was playing again colette into lady j for public enemies oh yeah i was (laughs) quite happy about this one so the in the in the end the game was four to one um in hindsight I, i picked spread them out and in hindsight that was probably not the best idea to pick because i i went into it planning to play defensively i knew that i couldn't just throw myself at lady justice with her being such a killy crew, I needed her to come to me and I needed to make her play my game. Um, I also didn't yep. take uh, Angelica, so there was no way of just throwing scheme markers where I needed them to be. I should have taken, uh, which one was it? I should have taken Claim Jump. Like, I love Claim Jump. I don't know why I didn't take it and Colette is really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's what happened. So I also took Vendetta, uh, Arcane Emissary against the Death Marshal. I love the Emissaries for Vendetta because you take the Grow Upgrade and it went from being a four-point model versus yep. a five-point model to being a 10-point model versus a 5-point model. And the Death Marshal was such a great pick because it's got hard to kill. So I can just, what I did was I presto changeode the Death Marshal into my back line next to my Emissary. And the Emissary could just go ham because I we worry about killing it thanks to hard to kill. So it's like an easy vendetta point.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'd be curious to know, James, so one, I mean, knowing that you've got that grow upgrade and obviously your opponent knows they have it on there, um, how do you
3: protect um, the effigy? Um, so my plan is always just, I just put the effigy as far back as I possibly can. Um, and great thing about Colette is her presto changer is any friendly model, not a performer. So I can presto change her effigy in worst case scenario. Um, like usually like right. turn one, I'll just, I'll stay back there and I'll focus. Um, and then maybe turn, at the end of turn two, I'll run up or I just leave him back there. And again, presto change her, him up when I need him. So I think she's really good with the growing one just because she has ways to move that model as far as she needs it to go. Um, and then again, because I, I had to play defensively. So I was able to just, I just kind of forced Lady J to stay back with my stun triggers and ice pillars. And I just tried to keep her back as long as I could.
1: Now, was there any decisions that the Lady J player made that ended
3: up working to your advantage? Um, yeah, he, he gave me the lone marshal <laughs> and he gave me the death marshal as well. Yeah. So the death marshal came really close. He was like just hiding behind cover. Uh, he came close and like, all right, presto changer, you're out of here. And then. I was able to throw Colette into the Lone Marshal. Obviously, Colette's got a two-inch melee, which I love, stat seven, and then stunned, so he couldn't yeah. just use his bonus actions to get out of there. He was stuck engaging Colette. Right. Now, did uh, both Colette and Lady J survive uh, turn five? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't kill Lady J. I, d- I didn't even try. <laughs> um, I, I used my Corophy to bait Lady J, so like Lady J would attack my Corophy, the Corophy would run away, heal, go back in, run away, heal. It was kind of like just, it was just back and forth with the Corophy, I killed only. I got uh, two points for the strategy because I killed. Nice. Even though I killed three models, I didn't kill enough on each turn. So like, I, I couldn't score turn three. I was only going to score two, turn two and four. Um, but I could like live as well.
1: What's frustrating about public enemies for me, and and I granted, uh, this is this is basically a hot take because I you know I've. I don't think I've even played public enemies. I've only talked to people about it and, and read it, but uh, scoring two points is a win with public enemies because you trying to do more than that, just by the sheer nature of how the strategy works um, is, is it tends to be a win more. All right. So that third, po- if you get a third point on, public enemies you've already won the game you didn't need that third point because you've obviously have dominated <laughs> the board um so i could i consider getting two points on that to be good but nice win in second place for you james oh thank you um,
3: i find that even more true in a 42 point crew just because there was less targets for you to go oh there. sure so i mean i'm, I'm happy with i'm happy uh, it, was a, it was a win i can't complain about that um, he only killed one model, so nope. my defensive play worked really well. Yeah, Well, I was about to say one model against a Lady Jake, <laughs> we're only losing one model. That's a, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. All I, right, I so let's talk to our... Villain. Go ahead, James. I, I just love Klet's um and her ability to deny enemies with stunned. Stunned and distracted is so good. Okay. Are, you, are you trying to trigger me, James?
1: <laughs> Pardon? I said, are you trying to trigger me with how good Arcanists are?
0: <laughs> Most certainly,
1: yes. <laughs> I don't even think Soulstone might as well do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't you know if you, if you watch the internet, the soul Stone miners are useless now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> they aren't. Spoiler alert, they're not. They're really good still. Yeah. But they're, now they're at least reasonable. They're still amazing for um, denial. I do think they went a little bit too oh, far, but I mean, the, the, making them ch- like nerfing them was needed. Definitely, definitely needed. Yeah. Um, but I, I just no, love yeah. like they're still good for denial.
1: They're, they're fa- still, still good models. They're just not a model that you're going to. Before, it was w- w- does an Arcanist take one or two? That was the decision-maker. Now yeah. they have to actually decide whether they take him or they don't, which, I, which is which where I want every model more. in the game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let's talk to our big, our big uh, winner. So you and first of all, what did you bring? Uh, I brought Raver again against Dreamer. Nice. Look at you. Against
2: Dreamer. Yes, against Dreamer. Um, this oh. one ran a little bloody. It ended 5-1, to one, my favor, at top table. Wow.
1: And that's when- at top table, so your
2: opponent obviously is a good player as well. Uh, Yes, Uh, there was a few things early on that uh, really swung it in my favor. And as you said, in Public Enemies, once you've started scoring, it can steamroll. So I ended up with uh, three points from Public Enemies and two from Vendetta. Nice. Uh, So I ended up picking uh, Vendetta with Vincent against Teddy. Uh, I hired Vincent without thinking of this. Uh, Normally, he's a bit of a 50-50 pick for me but with a willpower of seven and a terrifying crew and exorcism on his crossbow, it was a immediate take straight away. Uh, the fun part of this game, which I really enjoyed is the board setup actually became crucial to the the coast of the game. We were playing on uh, a board that James actually provided a wild West town that had a gallows dead center of the board. So it was a height two blocking piece of terrain right in the middle of the board on a flank deployment. So that, immediately almost split the game into two mini crews fighting each other on either side of that piece of that piece of terrain. Um, Yeah. Early on, my opponent made uh, a poor choice, which involved Teddy getting into my practically into my deployment zone. Turn one. Wow. And unbeknownst to him at the time, Teddy was my vendetta target. Right. He handed me, Two points, turn one, which I claimed with no reservation. Uh, activation one of turn two was Vincent. Teddy was already on about four health at that point. Vincent shot him once to score it, and then just focused because they didn't want to kill him yet. I scored vendetta. My opponent desperately ran mm-hmm. up. Serena healed Teddy, but Serena's a great healer. But Reva, sitting on a pyre marker will kill whatever she needs to, and she did yep. immediately. Uh, from there serena's now halfway up the board completely exposed she died later that turn um and that's one of his best beaters and serena down bad star also i was lucky because those two were both killed by different models so i had the bounty points spread out across my crew a lot more comfortably and what i did as i mentioned that game was split by that central piece of terrain i used my draugr to both my draugr engaged uh, chompy bits and that side of his force. Uh, they were doing a swimming job. Uh, one of my draugr ended up on one health three times during the game and every time it healed back through Juggernaut and Raver is, Raver is incredible into public enemies. Um, Embrace the Flame with quick action on the amount of burning her crew gets on themselves does a lot of work just to heal up a model. Um, as Becky can attest from Kairos vs. Raver game, I did a lot of work with that one.
1: Yeah, I bet. You know, it's funny you and uh, hearing how that went down. Um, that there's a, a very interesting decision point there uh, for the dreamer player, and it's something that I think that um, players don't think about enough. So here's the situation: uh, he's overextended, um, Teddy. He now knows Teddy is the vendetta target, and there's an argument that at some point you have to cut your losses. You have to say, you know what, Teddy's done. Those points are scored and I don't want to throw good, good chips after bad. And you could argue that him extending out Bowman at that point was just compounding the initial mistake that was made. Um, And that's not always true, uh, but it's something that I think players need to think about a little bit because a lot of second level play can be saying, look, I screwed up or I got unlucky. That's done. I just need to. I just need to admit to myself that those points are scored, that model is lost, whatever it is, and I need to adjust now. Whereas the temptation is to try to make up for that mistake or make up for that bad flip and, and end up pushing and, and, and compounding the problem. Um, it's not. I'm not criticizing the dreamer player. That's hard decision to make. Absolutely. Um, the strength also was Vincent basically didn't leave my deployment zone for the rest
2: of the game. He was able to just uh, he took pot shots at summons and just stayed back there focusing if he had nothing else to do. It became, especially with Agile, even if my opponent did get a model back there, as uh, a the henchman with Agile, with Raven nearby. Raver also didn't take, Raver didn't take a walk action or a charge action for the entire game. Always good. She just sat there doing what she does best, which is putting out pain and massively healing her crew. Um, I made quite an unfortunate error, however, in this game, which did cost me a few points. I uh, announced Claim Jump on my Carrion Emissary, which was my other scheme. Uh, because I'd seen that large central piece of terrain, I knew the, the carrion emissary would be able to sit up there with flight, use custom yep. markers to block off other models. Easy, easy points, easy score. Uh, I announced it turn two, but I didn't realize my opponent had a model physically on the other side of that terrain. Oh, I didn't oh, see no. it as human. So I went, oh yeah, claim jump. And he went, no, you don't. And <laughs> at that point, it's over. At that point, I had no chance of getting that claim. Shumpy was on that carrying emissary within half a turn. It was done on those. So I had to, as you said, I just had to cut those losses and go, I'm going to get my other points. I I wasted a full turn of chumpies by having both my Draugr use draw off flame on my corpse candles. So I'd, I'd moved my corpse candles early and then I'd resummoned them after they died, but I brought them back and positioned them at the intersecting point of the line of sight of though that central terrain piece on fire. So my Draugr was suddenly able to teleport eight inches and then charge Serena. And that's how I killed Serena. And suddenly chompy and out and the dreamer are on the wrong side of the board to participate. And that's a, that's a favorite strategy of mine, which I employed in round one as well. Just deny AP to your opponent.
1: Uh, That's that's always good. And you and what you did there is an exact example of what we were talking about, right? Where you said, look, the temptation would have been because massive screw up, right? You, you, you you declared a scheme and didn't (laughs) score. That's a bad move. Um, But what you could have done is said, you know what, I'm going to force the issue. What I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to resource and clear out the center and then resource some more to keep the center thing so I can score my points. I think the smart decision is to do exactly what you did, which is said, you know what, I messed up. I'm not going to get points for this and I'm not going to waste any more time, effort and resources doing it. I'm going to focus elsewhere and it end up winning you the game, which I think is a, a, a nice move. Absolutely. The only,
2: the only points my the one point my opponent scored was from uh, public enemies via that, they got that one kill, they got the two points, and they scored it late in turn three. Um, I got two from Vedala, three from public enemies once I was able to. The other disadvantage of a summoner in public enemies is you're just feeding models. And yep. Vincent was just going, oh, you summoned a stitch together. Two points. You summoned whatever points, points. I was stoning yeah. there quite regularly just to be like, done.
1: Vincent's a strong tech piece. And I think that um, depending on what the crew and the pool is, can be a strong tech piece, even out of keyword. The only thing I would love to see when we get another wave of keyword models is I would love to see Reva get a henchman that I would take every time, because I I, I, you can, I don't think you take Vincent every time, but he no. can be critical, uh, a critical tech piece higher, like you showed.
2: In, in 50 stone lifts, I take Asura every time with the Whisper. And I normally have... I run high stones, but when I run a Thera, I'm
1: normally running eight to nine stones. Wow! Yeah, she's resource intensive. She's—I oh, still yeah. haven't figured her out yet. Um, and when I say figured her out, I can't decide whether she fits my playstyle or not. I hate how resource intensive she is, um, but it can pay off.
2: Yeah, just uh, just yeah. flooding the board with corpses forever is helpful.
1: Yep. I agree. I agree. Well, guys, that's great. Congratulations on the podium. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take one more break. When we get back from this break, I've got three people from Western Australia that, um, allow Reva to win a tournament (laughs) no one one allows me to do anything that's right I do want to find out though I love it when I talk to a meta I like to get an idea of um, how the game's played there what is some of the things that um, dominate the meta things that um, uh, they think is unique about their play so we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what it's like to play in Western Australia we'll be right back Hi, friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. So for those of you that have been playing Malifaux for a while, especially if you listen to a lot of the media, um, one of the uh, things that was always funny in second edition is there was a constant on forums and on a weird place. There was a constant kind of poking between the, uh, the U.S. and Australia and. Um, the, I think the centerpiece of that joke, I think it was around Parker, because uh, <laughs> at one point, everybody in the US decided Parker was garbage. And then everybody in Australia apparently thought Parker was oh, OP yeah. And right, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm being a little a little facetious. It wasn't that extreme, but it was the kind of the centerpiece of it. But it was a nice little rivalry Um <laughs> I'd like to get a sense, though, um, uh, from the three of you. And Rebecca, we'll start with you. Is there anything that you think is unique to your meta? Um, what is something that uh, maybe makes Western Australia a little bit different than the rest of the world when it comes to Malifo?
0: I'm not really sure. I do know that we do have a lot of players. Like, um, we've got a really active meta. Like, I mean, our tournaments regularly reach like 16 to 18 people. That's great. Um, busy nights can reach like you know, eight to ten players that's on our regular nights. Um, and, yeah, so we've got a lot of players, which means we tend to play a lot of different masters. So mm-hmm. rather than, like, having just a small knit group, which is really good, and I certainly have players in our meta that I do prefer to play. Um, but, yeah, so so we do have a really wide range of people. There aren't many guild players. There are a couple, but they're definitely probably the least represented. We have a lot of Bayou Um, in terms of like models in general, I have, I think I fully convinced most of the Perth meta that the Firestarter is an incredible model. Whereas if you go on the forums, absolutely no one thinks that. And. I mean, I really rate him. I think he's excellent. He's a move seven henchman. And it's like he can go 21 inches crossboard. He can go 14 inches and then scheme. He's good.
3: How would you rate yeah. him as the windgammon?
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Rebecca, do you do you think that um, from a – and obviously it, it, there's a huge variation here with that many players, but do you do you think there's an aggressive style of Malifaux or is it a more schemey style of Malifaux in Perth?
0: I think aggressive. Okay. Um, I think i definitely fall more on the schemey side. I generally pick very non-interactive schemes. The amount of times I've taken vendor, I can probably count on my hand. I don't tend to take assassinate. Like I take the ones where I'm just like Carlos and Firestarter can go deal with that and I'll just hold up the rest of the crew and counter scheme and all that. So I sort of I very I'm I'm on the schemey side, but I do think it's it I think it's quite aggressive.
1: Yeah. Um, James, is there anything that you read in in a weird place, or anything that you hear on a podcast, or anything that makes you question if the rest of the world is playing the same game you are in Perth?
3: <laughs> um, well, there's definitely that fire starter thing, which I, we we like to laugh at. <laughs> uh, we've also got a few a few debates about how the change affected Tara and Hannah. I, I still oh, interesting! Tara's, I still think Tara is a great pick. I'll, I'll see people talk about how she's dead. It's over. Tyra's useless, blah, blah, blah. I, mean, I might be taking it a bit far, but you know, people really, really hammered on how badly they've hit Tyra. And I just, I don't think that's the case. She's definitely not the powerhouse. She was in GG one. And that's more of a zero. Ref- uh, right. Sorry. And that's more of reflection on the schemes themselves and her, but she's still a good, she's still a good master. Without doubt.
1: Yeah. And I think that yeah, I agree with you about the conventional wisdom, right? The conventional wisdom now is that she's, you know, she's going to collect dust and, um, I think it's a combination of of two things one obviously uh the the changes impacted her and her keyword um i think the biggest impact to your point james was the change from zero to one in the pools um but i think a, a good bit of the argument is is not necessarily that Tara's terrible now it's just that other outcast masters outshine her in almost every pool um are you do you think that there's a scenario where Tara is the right pick if you have access to all of the keywords.
3: I mean, I might be biased because I just love her. That's okay. And how she played. <laughs> um, but I, I still love her in uh, which one is it? Um, symbols of Authority is, is one I love for her. She's really good. Symbols of Authority, and I also really this might sound weird, but I kind of like her into Recover Evidence. Just a little bit because you can trick people into like, oh, you can't bury these models if I put markers on them. It's like, okay, cool. I'm just going to play models like I'm more I'm more happy to play um, Talos than I was before. Interesting, Because he doesn't – he's a slow model. He, one of his hardest things is he couldn't keep up with a burying and unburying crew, and now he doesn't need to. Um, nothing basically got another great bonus action in his Cloud of Concealment. Again, it's not like – if you can – you forcing people to think, okay, I'm going to stop you from playing how you want to play by putting these markers on these models. It's like, well, I want you to put these markers on these models. Right. That's why I've brought these yep. models. Very, very interesting. And I think that's something that have power. Yeah,
1: no, I, I, I don't disagree with you, man. I don't disagree with you at all. And again, you know, you're talking about you loving her. Uh, that's enough. Right. Um, and that's part of what I kind of like about Malifaux in general. Um, and it gets to the fire starter conversation. We had, the rabbit conversations we've had is that the game the game is so layered that there there's no right answers in Malifaux, which is part of what I love about the game and where I think Malifaux excels over Guild Ball. Um, it's very hard to have a differing opinion and Guild Ball and have both be valid. Right. Because in Guild Ball, um, and this is a, a tribute to the how uh, clean the game is, but I, you can almost empirically prove that one model is better than the other. or One move is better than the other than Gimbal. You can't do that uh, in Malifaux.
0: Um, yeah, it's my advice to new players is always like, which master you like the look of the most great play that one. They're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Like sure. There might be some pools that you're going to be a little, you know, your, your crew's not the most optimal for, but I mean, I played Mark two Kers for three years and like nothing else. You'll be fine.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. And, and what I like about that too, Rebecca, is that if you play a pool, that's not favorable to your keyword. And even if you lose, you're going to come out of it better at that keyword than when you started oh, yeah. it.
0: It's actually, yeah. you learn so much more playing into a non-optimal scheme in strat than you do playing like the the best list into the best everything. Like, sure, Sandeep might be the power pick of the Arcanists, but like also if you're not, I, I mean, it, if you don't know him that well, then your best pick is going to be the master you know the best. It always is, I, you know.
1: Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more.
3: Yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> felt the same in second Dead because I, I played nothing but Jackdaw, and even in the games where he's not supposed to work, I just made him work, because I played him yep. so much, and nothing.
1: It's it's always going to trump um anything else. Is your familiar, familiarity with the crew is always the number one indicator of your win-loss, in my opinion. Everything else can impact it, but if you are the more familiar you are with the crew, the better chances you have of winning, whether the pool is favorable or not. How about you, Young? What is something that is um truly signature in your mind for uh your area? Uh I think we have a, a great variety
2: of players in terms of what we want out of the game. Um as you might have been at a guest say, saying I picked Reva because of her model, I only picked up Seamus right before a tournament because I Rebecca and I came up with the idea of converting his crew to be characters from Chicago the Musical. Oh, and that's then, awesome. So I did the his henchmen, the three dead Doxy, the two dead doxies and the three rotten bells. I converted each of them to clearly reference one of the murderers in Selbach Tango, put cell bars behind them, and wrote signs with pop six and so on and so forth. The, there were kill words from the musical behind them, so I had a lot of fun with that, and that's the only reason I played them because I're like, "Oh, I just made these cool models. I'm going to do it. I've recently. Fantastic. Uh, thank yeah, you.: I recently hard. picked up Molly, uh, as a part of a prize from the event as well, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm playing Molly now, but I'm going to do something cool so I ended up doing submerged resin bases, which I recently put on weird place so after I.: finished
1: I saw story, those. I did not realize that was you very
2: clever. Thank you, thank you. So, and now I'm playing Molly. Now I'm a Molly player now. Um, <laughs> the, the joke is that I can no longer pretend I'm not a Reza player when I have three full keywords, all of which have converted or custom bases. I'm <laughs> uh,
0: going to go so, to
2: it's too
1: late. I used to be a Bayou player, but not anymore. Um, uh, well, I'm glad you're not a Bayou player. But Bayou players are my new <laughs> <Arcanists. Me too. laughs> Um So, you and a couple things. One, I need you to um, send me some pics of that uh, Chicago crew because I would love uh, for the listeners to see it on the website um, so that I can link to it. Do you mind doing that? Absolutely. Awesome. That that's that sounds amazing to me. Um guys, I really enjoyed this and I appreciate um, you know, uh, negotiating the uh time zone differences and uh getting <laughs> you to spend an hour or so with me. Um real quick, do any of the three of you have any uh, shout-outs or plugs you want to get out there?
3: Don't uh, just
0: that. hello, Perth Meta. You guys are great. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Do it. it should lies. Lies. They're all awful. <laughs> I hate all of you.
2: Um, I did have a, a funny story from round two that I failed to get to. If you want me to quickly oh, put please. Uh, so my other scheme was Hidden Martyrs, which I had taken on both dead doxies because my brain, as I said, I'm new to Shamus. My brain was like, oh, they've got regret trigger to keep them alive. They can pump out distracted to keep them alive. Yeah. So one goes down, I'll be fine. But I very quickly realized that the one I'd thrown up the board to fight a Geryon That Garion had six distracted on it, and just was unable to kill it. (laughs) Suddenly going, "Oh crap! I've I've lost my scheme. What am I going to do?" And then I had (laughs) your own scheme. (laughs) Uh, I've ruined it. And I had this brilliant brainwave because soon buried the other one, and I had a mindless zombie next to him, which could break it out. But I just paused, just went, "I don't have to." (laughs) <laughs> I can let it die at the end of the game to score my point if I need to. Very nice. Very nice. So my opponent sort of like paused and realized I just had a mindless zombie standing next to that pillar doing nothing for like three turns. Just like, do it. Is she going to die? Is the other one going to die? Do I have to smash this or? So that was um, quite a fun moment when he realized what was going on there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Um, I, I, it's funny when you play a game and, and things are so situational. It's amazing how, how many times something you've never even thought of comes up and you realize like, wow, you know, I have played this scheme before. I've played this strategy before. I've played against this crew before. But because of the circumstances that have piled up, I've just I figured out a whole new way to score in this game that I never thought of before. It was wonderfully fun. That's great. All right, guys. And for those of you that stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss uh, the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening howdy folks craig here now if you love gadgets as much as we do you're going to love the new third floor wars gadget bundle from schooner labs branded with the logo of your favorite podcast it comes with two measuring multi-tools a compass stepper for those tight and important movements along with a compact dashboard to track your turn strat and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens it is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. Good, good job, guys. Good job. You and I might have to bug you when I finally do my uh, uh, Rev-A-Deep dive, if you're up for you it. i would be happy to. I awesome. love her. That makes me happy. Um, So kind of what I was thinking here um, is when you guys listen to podcasts or, you know, watch battle reports, I'd be curious to know if there's things that you guys discuss in your meta saying, you know, boy, you know, everybody in UK thinks this is good and it's garbage or everybody thinks this is garbage. It's good. Or uh, (laughs) our style of play is this and it doesn't appear like the rest of the world does it that way. I'd like to find out whether there's certain things that you guys, you know, really think is uniquely Western Australia. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I know that we do sometimes give a bit of shit to the Americans, but like you know, (laughs) we have to. We're Australians. We're going to do that.
1: (laughs) Well, I I mean, that's all we did in two E was make fun of each other, and why should that stop (laughs) in third edition? (laughs) A proud tradition. It is a proud tradition. I agree. All right, guys, I'll bring us back. All right, very efficient, guys. Thank you
3: sorry i am um, I all be right asking, so how about i might be asking you to repeat yourself just because i'm getting a lot of dropout mm-hmm. and it's really annoying <laughs> apologies
1: okay that's fine james yeah that's fine the miracle of editing we're gonna sound so good <laughs> <laughs> i miss that sorry don't worry, you can never make me sound good. Yeah, and, and the other <laughs> thing that's good about the squadcast, James, is it's recording everything locally. So oh, awesome. Rebecca's being recorded on her own computer, and so what will happen is when we finish this, it's going to upload all of your local files to me. So there's going to be no latency, no dropouts, or anything. It'll be okay. nice.
0: Cool. Oh, that is good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oops, yeah. So um, technology. Well, yeah. I mean, like, there's a million ways for me to record this podcast for free. Um, I, I find Squad class, squad Squadcast <laughs> worth it because I, it, it's just it's a better sounding podcast. Um, uh, compared to you can tell when someone's recording on Discord or Skype. Um, and it's just better local. All right. Um, all right. So matchups, were, What's that, James? I did notice you're using a different program from last time. I did this similar idea though. So when you were on last, we used Zencaster, which is the same concept. Yeah. Just Squadcast is better. <laughs> at twice the price <laughs> so it better yeah. be better. <laughs> um all right so uh any any matchups between the three of you in round two nope all different people nope. all right good yep um so rebecca we'll start with you okay
0: oh okay yep
1: well done well done god i am so envious of you guys <laughs> that's awesome <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, we're really lucky here because um, Victoria is not doing so well, which is state of east, but WA and a couple of others. So we're just yeah, like there's like as you and said, there's been new caps, but aside from that, that's pretty much yeah, i are fine.
1: Now, did you guys have a period of actual lockdown? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. When did you? When did that start for you guys?
0: I want to say March.
2: Early, gotcha. early, and March. then it
0: lasted. Yeah, early March, then it lasted. Like, we locked down pretty fast because our premier um, didn't want to take any chances. He like, yeah. we're just going to lock down. And it lasted for about a month and a half, I want to say.
2: Yeah. I think we, we had the border lockdown and the regional lockdown within mm. about a week of things
1: getting serious with the virus. And then we went
2: to Even like... before actual,
0: it started here.
2: Yeah.
1: Very interesting. Very interesting. And then nice. just, it sounds like just naturally by just by geography, you guys had a bit of an advantage.
2: <laughs> big desert yeah. on one side, big ocean on the other. Look look pretty good. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, that's very, very, very cool. All right, guys, I will bring us back to round one. Um, well, in round one, did any of the three of you play each other?
0: Me and James did.
1: Okay. So what I'll do, you and I'll start with you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then we'll go into Rebecca and James's uh Match okay. No ice. All right, cool. James Bryant and Rebecca. Le- Ooh, I forgot to ask you, what. Leahy <laughs> or Leahy?
0: Lay, actually. Not Lay, not bar. even close. Yeah, not nice even job, close. Greg.
1: <laughs> And Rebecca Lay. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, you might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.